The following audio is brought to you by Summerside Community Church in London, Ontario. For more information on Summerside, visit us online at www.summersidechurch.ca. Well, our world has a fascinating uh, interest in people who have mysteriously disappeared. And the ones that mysteriously disappeared and then show up again, you know, usually end up in some kind of novel or movie. Um, and those are the ones that make it to a book or the big screen. And the, it, it's always a fascinating story. And there's some really well-known ones that, you know, have disappeared and they're still a mystery. The, you know, Amelia Earhart flying around the world and disappearing or, um, you know, the, the, the mafia boss in, or, or the, the guy in Detroit forget his name. The, these people disappear and there's this mystery surrounding it, right? It's like, what's happened? And, and people are fascinated by what, what's going on. Well, the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us about somebody who disappeared, except this person mysteriously dis- didn't mysteriously disappear because we know what happened. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, we're told what happened to this man And this is the second name that we find in Hebrews 11. And this is Enoch. And he's the second person that's mentioned who lives by faith. Except the difference here is that he didn't do something extraordinary by faith. But by faith, he just lived an ordinary life and God took him. It's like, it's almost like something extraordinary happened to him rather than something extraordinary he did. Because what he did apparently was, should have been fairly ordinary for all of us. And because of his faith, he just disappeared. Now, don't think that this is some kind of Star Trek beam me up Scotty and he appeared in the Starship Enterprise or some in some other space in the universe, you know, that he was just sort of transported. No, we're told that he, God took him and he disappeared, left this earth and was in the presence of God in, in an instant. Now, to avoid any false expectations that some of you may have, this is not intended for us to somehow think if we do certain things, we live a certain way, we can avoid a funeral, okay? That, and some of you may be thinking, man, I shouldn't have prepaid my funeral. I could have avoided that. So, no, the Bible does tell us that there is coming a day when Jesus is going to come back to earth, and when he does, he's going to take those who are alive, 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians 4 mention this, those who are alive are going to be caught up together with him in the clouds. We will, we will escape death if we are alive, we're among those who, who that happens to. The problem is, is, I don't know when that's going to happen. If, it, if I knew when it was going to happen, it would be a lot easier, right? I could just sort of prepare for that and figure out your investments accordingly and, you know, spend your money accordingly. It's like, we don't know that though. I mean, it could be today. It could be next week. It could be next century. We don't know. There's nothing telling us that it has to happen at a certain time. And anybody that says it has to happen within, a, you know, this time, they don't know because Jesus said, no, this is something my father knows. So who is this man that we're talking about? And what is it that we learn about faith through him? So take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 11 verses. And we're looking at verses five and six. Hebrews 11 says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. 
And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Now, there are three simple questions that we can answer from this passage. First of all, who is Enoch? Um, what did he do? And what can we learn about him? So if we're just going to go through it, we start the first little phrase in Hebrews 11.5 says, By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. So who was who is this guy Enoch? Well, it's interesting that in if you notice, as I read verse five, the middle of verse five is in quotation marks. I don't know if it showed up on the screen or not, but it's, there's a quote there where it says he could not be found because God had taken him away. And that's in quotes, not because it's not true or not because, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, just no. It's in quotes because the writer of Hebrews is actually quoting from the Old Testament. But he's not quoting from the Hebrew Old Testament, which the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. He's quoting from directly from the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Now, we're going to get to this again later because it's it's going to affect something else I want to say about this passage. But just sort of keep that in mind. But that's why it's in quotes. He's quoting from the Bible that they were using at that time. And that Bible would have been in Greek. So we have these quotes. But the question is, um, who is this person? Now, that quote is from Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. And Enoch, it helps us to understand that this connects Enoch in Hebrews 11 with the Enoch of Genesis chapter 5. So there are four things that we can learn about Enoch. The first one is that he was the great grandfather of Noah. We learn that from Genesis chapter 5. Now, some of you are saying, didn't we talk about a Genesis thing last week? Yeah, we were Genesis chapter 4, which was talking about Cain and Abel. Remember, Abel killed was killed by Cain. That shows up in Genesis 4. Genesis 5 gives us a genealogy of, of people that lived before the flood. Because Genesis 6, the very next chapter, starts telling us about Noah. We're gonna, and Noah is gonna be the next one in Hebrews 11 that we're gonna look at next week. So we know that from Genesis chapter 5, that, that Enoch was a great grandfather of Noah. So what? Like what's the point of that? Well, it's significant because when we get to chapter 6 of Genesis, in verse 11, we have a description of what those days were like. What was the earth like? What was society like in the days that Enoch would have been living? And in Genesis 6, verse 11, we read, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Let me say, yeah, that describes, you know, 2023 in uh, our world. Yeah. But the interesting thing to note here is that Enoch walked with God at a time when the world was corrupt and full of violence. What's your excuse? Can we use the excuse today to say, God, our world is really bad. I mean, it's really tough to be a Christian these days. So you can't expect me to be really faithful this day, you know, because I mean, life is really tough. No, here's Enoch. And, and how long did he live? 365 years. It's like he lived at a time when it was difficult. The second thing we, we know about him actually comes from the New Testament because, and actually there's more said in the New Testament about Enoch than in the Old Testament. 
in, in uh, the book of Jude, verses 14 and 15, because there's only one chapter in Jude. In Jude 14 and 15, we read that, that Jude prophesied that God was going to come to judge the earth at some point. To judge the sinful people on the earth. And, and he's called the preacher of righteousness. Like he was, he was preaching. And as far as we can tell, he would have been preaching for 300 years. Because that's how long he was walking with God. The third thing we learn about this is that he lived 365 years. Now, you have to remember that this was before the flood came. And when you read the genealogies of people who lived before the flood, they lived hundreds of years. And some people say, yeah, that's, you know, that, yeah, that's just myths, right? We can't, we can't take those numbers because that, that, that can't happen. That's impossible. Really? I mean, scientists are telling us today that that's not impossible. Um, and I, you know, I'm not saying you should believe it because scientists say this, but, but it's not impossible. I mean, scientists are understanding that the reason why we don't live longer than we do is something happens in our, as our cells are multiplying, that something go, happens that it stop, they stop multiplying properly and your body starts falling apart. And before the flood, they lived for hundreds of years. And scientists are saying today that if they can manipulate the genes in a certain way, which I'm not suggesting they do, but if they could, people could live indefinitely. Because your body naturally regenerates itself. So here we have this person. And, and Enoch, the interesting thing is of all the people that are mentioned, all the lifespans that are mentioned before the flood, this one's the shortest. He, he lived the shortest of all of them, only 365 years. Now, he gave birth to Methuselah. If you remember, Methuselah was the longest living person ever recorded. He, he lived 969 years. Now, it's hard for us to grasp those numbers. But just so that you can get a sense of what it would be like living 365 years, if Enoch had died in 2022, okay, so last year, if he had died somehow, if he had been living and died last year, that means when he was born, he would have been born in the year 1657. Now, to, to again, to put that in context, context, if that was the case, when the pilgrims came over on the Mayflower, he would have been 37 years old. <laughs> um, on his 200th birthday, okay, when Enoch turned 200, he would have to wait 10 more years for Canada to become a nation. <laughs> it's like, we're talking, we're talking a long time. He lived a long time, 365 years. And he didn't die. He actually, and, that, and that's the fourth thing we can learn about him is that, you know, we say he, he lived that long, but he didn't die. Uh, the text says God just took him. Now, when it says that, we have to assume that somebody must have seen something or there was some kind of evidence that he disappeared. Otherwise, you know, somebody would assume he went into the witness protection program or maybe he would have been, his body would be found in a shallow grave somewhere, you know, after, after a murder like Abel. Uh, but the text says that God, God took him. Um, in fact, when you read Genesis chapter five, it's, it's interesting. And if you, if you have it open there, you'll notice that it, the whole chapter is this genealogy and it's, and Moses, when he gives us this genealogy, he puts it in, he, he groups people together in pair and it shows up in paragraphs in our translation. Um, and he, at the end of each paragraph, it says, like, for example, verse 8, altogether Seth lived a total of 912 years, and then he died. And at the end of each paragraph here, it says, so-and-so lived a total of hundreds of years, 
and they died. And the next one lived so many years and they died. And the next one lived so many years and they died. And they died and they died. There's this continual refrain, he died, he died, he died. Until you get to verse 24 where it says, Enoch walked faithfully with God and he was no more because he died. No, not because he died, because God took him away. It's like clearly there's a, there's a, there's a stark contrast here. All these people are dying and boom, Enoch. Whoa, wait a second here. What happened to Enoch? God took him away. So it's a fascinating thing to see. And the only other person in the Bible that did not die that we're told about is Elijah in second Kings chapter two, where Elisha sees Elijah being taken up into heavens in a whirlwind. So these two characters in the Bible are the only two that, that did not die. Now that summarizes what we know about Elijah. I mean, not Elijah, but Enoch. Uh, but there's a, there's a second question we need to ask is what did Enoch do? Obviously God is quite impressed with this, this man Enoch. So let's look at his, his list of accomplishments. Well, we know he was a preacher because uh, Jude 14 and 15 say that he was a preacher of righteousness. We don't, I mean, we have a, a, a couple of lines about what he said, but that's about it. Uh, we don't know how long he preached. I'm not talking about each sermon. I'm talking about, you know, how many years he was preaching. It could have been the whole, but that doesn't seem to be, be the big deal because that's not what the author of Hebrews says. Uh, so he didn't write any books, although there are the books of Enoch, Three books of Enoch that are in existence, except Enoch didn't write those. They were written about 300 years before Christ. And we know that, and I think they show up in the Apocrypha in the, the Catholic Bible. Um, but they are not, not written by Enoch, even though they're supposedly from Enoch. So he didn't write anything that we know of. Um, did, he, did he have a business? Did he run a business that was well-known, made a lot of money? We don't know. Um, so we know that he was the father of Methuselah, but that's didn't really qualify him to be taken away. Did he have any special titles or special awards he received? Nothing other than what God says about him. So what did he accomplish in 300 years? I mean, 300 years, surely there must be some, some things like, like we would think of that would make him famous. He would be, he would be classified in the rich and the famous before Noah shows up. But we don't see that. He lives 365 years and the and, and what is the most significant thing said about him? Genesis 5, 21 and 22 says when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. At 65, he fathers Methuselah, but that's not the important thing. The important thing is what comes after he gives birth to Methuselah, after his wife gives birth to Methuselah. 300 years, he walked faithfully with God. It's interesting to notice how children affect parents. When you have a child, it affects you. If you missed the, if you missed the testimony, uh, last week of, uh, Morgan and Cindy, Sonny Skinner, uh, they, they, it, that's what got them. They had a child and it's like, they realized I, I need to do something. And that child led them 
to understanding who God was and brought them into a relationship with God because of the responsibility. Maybe that's what happened with, with Enoch. Having Methuselah, having a child, recognized, man, I have a responsibility before God. And somehow after Methuselah was born, he walks with God, walked faithfully with God for 300 years. So we still need to ask the question, though, what does it mean in the text when it says that he walked faithfully with God? It says it twice about Enoch. And the only other person in the Old Testament that uses those exact same words to describe them is Noah that we're looking at next week. Noah also walked faithfully with God, but with Enoch, it's mentioned twice. Now, I mentioned earlier that it's important to notice that the writer of Hebrews is quoting from the Greek translation of Hebrew. It shows up in this word when we look at the word walked. If you read in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24, it says, Enoch walked faithfully with God. In, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, Enoch pleased God. Now, why, did, why two different words? Well, because we know that the author of Hebrews is quoting from the Greek translation that was was the Bible they were using in Jesus' day in the Roman Empire. The Greek was the main language. Uh, and a lot of, that's why the New Testament is written in Greek. And we know that they, they he was using that Bible in, in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, though instead of the, translating the walk with the what we use as walk, which is what the word is, but it's, metaphorical they translated as pleased because they understood that when it said that enoch walked with god it just didn't mean he was you know journeying every day with god but but his life his light his journey with god pleased god he walked in a way that was pleasing to god he walked faithfully with god that's why it's sort of translated that way in english for us he walked faithfully with god he pleased god in what he did. He lived in a way that was pleasing to God. But what does that mean in a practical sense? Um, we don't have details about how Enoch spent his days walking with God. Would have been nice, right? If he had said seven o'clock in the morning, he woke up, had his quiet time. Oh no, he didn't have a Bible. There was no scripture written, so he didn't do that. Uh, he woke up every morning and maybe sacrificed or like, what did he do? Well, we're not told. And that's probably a good thing because for each one of us, our lives and the way in which we carry out our walk with God is going to look a little bit differently because each one of us has different circumstances, different challenges, different obstacles, different opportunities that we face. And God calls each of us to walk with him in every unique challenge and difficulty that we face, and that's going to look different for me, and it's going to look different for you. It's going to look different for for Faith and I when we God says you're having triplets <laughs> than it is for somebody else who maybe are not able to have a child. It's going to look differently for somebody who is uh, healthy and strong and works out at the gym and somebody else who is waiting for their next treatment because they're not sure how long the cancer is going to last and how what's going to happen. See, we're all going through different issues in life. And God doesn't say, this is, this is the formula. This is what you have to do every day. He says, no, 
the, the emphasis in scripture and the, the, the story of Enoch tells us that we walk with God. And sometimes we don't know. Sometimes you wake up in the morning and say, God, I don't know what to do. And, and you know what? That's, that's the best thing to do is just say, God, is turn to God and say, God, I don't know what to do today. Can you just help me? It's like prayer. Don't think about prayer as, okay, I gotta, gotta, gotta get it right. No, prayer is just talking with God and having that sense that, God, I need you. God, I need you today to help me to get through and, and just to come to him. And every day living with that awareness that God is the one who's, he is the creation of the creator of the world. He is the king of the universe. I submit to him. I live for him. And every day I go through my day, whatever I'm doing, whether I have to take out the trash or whether I have to work to make money or whether I have to pull the weeds out of the garden or whether I have to change dirty diapers, whatever it is. I just live with an awareness that God loves me and cares for me. And I'm going to live to please him in some way, whatever he calls me to do. And if that means I'm going to spend my, spend my whole day at the bedside of somebody who is suffering and I can't do anything and I just weep, that's what I do. That's how I please God today. Just praying that God would work and God would give me wisdom and that, that I would just be open to say the right words to help people. You see, it's a... It's not a formula. It's a relationship. It's about the heart. It's like what we saw last week with, with Abel. It's not just showing up, but it's shining up. It's living in a way that I give glory to God in whatever I do. And Enoch learned to please God, not because he did some great thing, but every day he lived with an awareness that God was there. He lived in a relationship with God. Now, fortunately for us, we do have a little more insight that, that the writer of Hebrews gives us. Because in the very next verse, in, back in Hebrews chapter 11, in verse 6, he continues on to sort of amplify what it means to live to please God. Verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So there, what do we learn from his life then? Verse 6 helps us. Three, there are three statements that are made in, in verse 6. And let me just take one at a time and sort of summarize them. So the first, first statement is that pleasing God requires faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if we're going to please God, it requires faith. Notice it doesn't say, without faith, it is difficult to please God. Without faith, it is very hard to, it's, it's much harder to please God without. You can still do it, but it's much harder. No, he says without faith, it is impossible. Can't happen. You can't do it. You see, the New Testament is very clear that faith involves trusting in God through Jesus Christ. I mean, the book of Hebrews, I've mentioned before, in the first 10 chapters, which we didn't cover, we jumped into chapter 11, the first 10 chapters are all about how Jesus is greater than Moses, than the angels, than the sacrificial system. How God has, has appointed Jesus to be the head of everything. And it's all about Jesus. So when, when he says faith in God, we understand that it's faith in Jesus. And it's, it's got to be faith, not, not what we do. One of the most important verses in the Bible that talks about this is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Where it says, it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith, this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Boast. Now, some of you maybe have grown up in a church where you have been taught that 
what God wants you to do is to be a good person. And you want to go to church, love your neighbor, don't do bad things, keep the Ten Commandments as best you can. And then at some point, God will say, good job. I am so pleased with you. You really are good. You're a really good person. See, the problem with that thinking is that it assumes that my problem is that I'm not good enough. That's not my problem. That's not your problem. My problem is not that I'm not good enough. The problem is I have sin in my life that I cannot resolve, that I cannot go back and correct. I have sinned thousands of times, and so have you. And uh, it would be be, intre- be interesting, and I'm glad it can't happen, but it would be interesting to see a chart, to see how many times we've sinned, to see if I've outsinned you. <laughs> it's like, because we sin in so many different ways. Every time I fail to love people as much as God calls me to love them, I sin. I'm disobeying God. He calls me to love people completely, sacrificially, and I don't. He calls us to, to speak the truth, and sometimes we like to, you know, twist the truth, or, or He tells us to, to not lust, and it's like something we lust, and we, we envy, and we want things that we shouldn't have. So it's that every time that we do that, we're sinning. So our problem is not that we're not good enough, it's the problem is sin. And all the good things that I've done in my life, and I've done quite a few of those, you know, it'd be interesting to check that out and uh, say, you know, has, has Mark done more good things than, than, than somebody else? It's like, it doesn't matter because it's the sin is the problem, not the good stuff we do. And until we understand that I need to, first of all, come before God and acknowledge the fact that I am a sinner and I cannot change my sin. I cannot get rid of my sin. The only one that can do it is God himself because he's the one who's offended. And God is offended and I need to come to him and recognize that Jesus Christ died as the sacrifice. He died in my place. He paid the price that justice requires, that God said, I require death because of sin. And Jesus dies the death that I deserve and I put my faith in him and he gives me new life. He forgives my sin. So now it isn't about how much good I do. It's about how much he has forgiven me. Now I stand before him forgiven, not, not with a whole list of good things because those things don't count, but with the credit of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, he, what he has done gives me the record to be able to stand before God free. So whenever people start thinking it's about them and how good they are and how much they can impress God, God is disgusted. He is the opposite of please because no human being can deal with their sin on their own or somehow make up for the sin that they've committed. Pleasing God requires faith and faith alone, not believing in our works, not believing in our faith. I've talked to people before that say, yeah, I'm really trusting my faith. No, it's not trusting your faith. It's not about having your strong faith. It's your faith in Christ. It's having your faith in the right place. So pleasing, pleasing God requires faith. The second thing we notice in, in verse 6 is that pleasing God requires faith in the true and living God. Some of you may say, aren't you going beyond the text there? It just says faith in God. You know, believe, they believe God exists. He who comes to God must believe God exists. That's, that's all it is. Just, just God exists. It, it, it implies way more than that. Because um, it, isn't, it isn't going beyond what it says. Do you realize that most of, most of the people in our world believe that God exists? In fact, um, researchers believe that there's a 
but 7% of the world's population are atheists. And most of those live in China, actually, because China has the huge population, a large number of atheists. Canada, the percentage is way higher, but it's coming down as immigrants are coming into Canada. As, because immigrants coming in from other countries, they come in believing in God. But the question is, what, what, what are they believing in? See, the writer of Hebrews is not saying, all you have to do is believe in small g-o-d. And if you believe in small g-o-d, God, a God, whatever that God is, if you believe in something spelled God, then you're okay. Because the book of Hebrews, right from the start, we saw this last week, in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 1, God spoke And his son became the revelation of God himself. There's one true God. And Jesus Christ, there's only one that we worship as the true and the living God. It's the triune God. It makes it, Hebrews makes it very clear. And, and the author here is, is helping us to understand that it's not just believing in a God, not believing in a deity, but it's believing in the true God. Paul writes to the church in Thessalonica. And he tells how he first heard about these people. First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.9. He says, they tell you, they tell, talking about these people writing to him, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So I love that statement, the, the, the true and the living God. Uh, Paul is saying, how do, you guys w- used to believe in God's small g, right? God, idols. Says you used to have all kinds of, all kinds of idols. The, the Romans and the Greeks had all their idols. And he says, you guys used to believe in those things. He says, but you turn to the true and the living God. Not just any old God. And you go back to Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10. Jeremiah the prophet is writing to the people of Israel. And their problem is they were worshiping idols. And he says to them, the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal king. When he is angry, the earth trembles. The nations cannot endure his wrath. He is the true and living God. There's only one. And earlier in, in chapter Jeremiah chapter 10, he's talking about their idolatry. And he says, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field. Now just picture that. A scarecrow in a cucumber field. He said, that, that's who they were worshiping. Their idols cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. It's like your God is like a scarecrow in a cucumber field that can't talk. You have to carry him to from one place to the next because he can't walk. He can't talk. He can't walk. What are you doing? You guys are wasting your time. The God that Enoch walked with was the one who spoke the worlds into existence. He's the one who created the heavens and the earth. The one who, after Enoch's time, he's the one who took Noah through the flood and destroyed the earth. He's the one who made promises to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. He's the one who formed Israel as a nation and brought them into the promised land. He's the one who punished Israel as a nation, sent them into captivity, brought them back. He's the one who sent his son Jesus to to come to earth and to be born as a baby and to grow up and to die, give his life as a sacrifice. He's the God who formed the, the church After Jesus left, 3,000 people in one day come to faith in Christ. He's the one who is doing all that work. He is the true and the living God. He is the one that Enoch walked with. And if your faith is in any other so-called God, then your faith is no better than 
in a scarecrow in a cucumber field. So pleasing God requires faith. Pleasing God requires faith in the true and the living God. And notice the third thing he says in in verse 6. Pleasing God requires faith in his promises. He says he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So if he rewards, he's talking about a future, something in the future. He rewards those who seek him. The reward is something in the future that's promised. So that's why I'm saying faith in the promises of God. So to believe God rewards those who seek him is to believe that what God says about the future is what what is true. You know, remember the definition of faith? Faith is taking God at his word, believing it and putting it into practice. If God rewards, God promises to reward us, I'm going to believe that. And I'm going to practice that fact that I'm going to live for God's reward. I want to be rewarded by God. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't worry about being motivated by, by this promise. God will reward you for living in a, a difficult, righteous life. If you have put your faith in him, not that you're trusting in your own good, your own good works. But as you live, say, I want to live for God's reward. I want to please him. He promises to reward us. Now, what is the reward then that he promises? Some people think, you know, maybe is it, is it, I'll, I'll have more money. Will I have a, a bigger house? Will I win the lottery so I can buy all the stuff that will make me happy? Is it having good health or, or kids that behave well? You know, the, you've probably noticed, probably seen the Ontario Lottery Commission, you know, your tax dollars at work here, um, their, their latest advertising campaign. They have this whole thing about, they have this dream guy say, you need, you guys, you just need to dream bigger dreams. And he's a dream coach and tell him, you need to dream bigger dreams because if you win the lottery, think about what you can do. It's not something small, something big, you know, dream about the big house, dream about the amazing vacation you can have. Do you realize the lie that's being told in that, in that, not aside from the fact that he's lying and assuming that you're going to win because they're, they're saying, just give us more money so that we can make a bigger, you know, a bigger reward and take more of your money and give it to one person and not you. Besides that, the bigger lie that they're telling, telling you is that somehow by dreaming, by having your dreams, your life centered around this longing for something bigger and better on this earth. That that is going to be the ultimate? That is the biggest lie our world is telling people today. Because what happens if you won the lottery, you bought the big house, and you died the next day? What good is that going to do you? Like, it's, it's a lie that they're telling you. This is not the reward that Enoch was after. He was pleasing God. He was looking for the reward. He knew that God was going to reward him. But what is the reward that God was going to give him? He didn't win the lottery. He didn't get a new job. He didn't live longer life. In fact, his life was cut short because he he worshiped God and pleased God. He left the earth and got exactly what he wanted. With the one he spent, spent his life walking with, God himself. What's the reward? God. It's God. What more do you need? The reward is God himself. God says the same thing to Abraham back in Genesis 15, verse 1. Remember, in Genesis 12, God promises Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great name. I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you all this stuff. But you know what he says in Genesis 15, verse 1? Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. 
The reward is God himself. That's There is no greater reward that you can have, no greater dream that you can have than to be with God and to be with everything related to God. And, and I'm telling you that it isn't going to be sitting in, you know, sitting, everybody sitting in rows at some, you know, in some big great gathering in heaven. That's not the ultimate. The ultimate is experiencing the kingdom of God in its fullness experiencing life the way God intended. That's, that's what, what it means to, to get God. You, you have this relationship with God, this eternal sense of joy and peace and fulfillment and, and, and ecstasy because you're ex- marveled with the grandeur of God and the glory of God and exploring his creation. I mean, you know, the scientists are trying to get us excited about, you know, this, the vision they're getting and it's, amazing mind-blowing to to think about the planets and all that when you think about the fact that we're going to be exploring that for eternity of course it has to be big right i mean of course it's going to be this incredible view because it's all about god that's his glory his majesty that's his kingdom so the question is what are you longing for what is your greatest dream is your dream to make it big in this life to be able to live with the, the life of the rich and the famous if that's your dream, I'm telling you, your dreams are too small. If your dream is no bigger than what some Ontario Lottery Corporation dream coach is telling you to dream, you're, you're wasting your time. That's way too small. That's, a, that's just nothing. That won't bring the satisfaction you're looking for, for one thing. And for another thing, you may achieve it and be gone the next day. So if your hopes and dreams aren't revolving around the promises of God, then you're missing out on what it means to live and walk by faith, pleasing God. Because that is the greatest reward. That leads to the greatest joy and pleasure. So let's summarize it. Pleasing God requires faith. That's the place to start. You need to, you need to have faith in God alone, not your own good, not your own works. Faith alone that pleases the true and the living God. You have to believe that God is, all other gods are false. The God of money, the God of possessions, the God of, the God of prestige and power and, and all these things the world is pursuing. Those are false gods. Those are idols that are no good, no better than, than scarecrows in, in watermelon patches. Faith in God's promises. We need to have faith believing that when God said, I will reward you for the difficulties you go through, then you go through those difficulties with a sense of joy, knowing that, you know what, this pain and suffering I'm going through, I'm going to do it walking with God. Because as I do it walking with God, I know that when I come to the end, I'm going to be rewarded. I'm going to be with God. I'm going to have far more than I, than I humanly able to, to hope and dream for. It's all about him. So if you are not there yet, maybe today you're in your heart. You're saying, you know what? I, I think I need this. That's God's spirit working. And maybe you need to take that first step of saying, God, my sin needs to be dealt with. I've never dealt with that. I need to come to come, come to Jesus and believe that he died for me and he's the one that can, can take away my sin. And once you do that, then you need to say, you know what? I, I need to learn to walk with God. And the first place to start is get, to, God has already spoken. He's, he said a lot, a lot for you to listen to. Get into his word every day and say, God, I need to go through my day. And not just by taking, okay, I'm going to just take one verse, do a quick prayer so I can get on with my day. No, to spend my day going through my life saying, God, I want to live to experience your joy, to experience your pleasure, to live walking with you, pleasing you from day to day. 
and you come across a situation, you don't know what to do. The first thing you do, God, how can I please you here? I don't know what to do. And sometimes you'll do things and it'll be the wrong thing. You'll make a mistake. Say, God, sorry, I made a mistake. And God will forgive you and you pick up and move on. But it's walking with God day by day, every day, for however many years God allows us to go through. You see, when we really believe what God says about the future, then we're like the man that Jesus talks about, who was seeing a field, and in that field he realized there was a treasure in that field. And that treasure was so great, he said, I'm going to buy the field and get the treasure. And in order to buy the field, he went out and sold everything he had. He gave it all up because he knew there was a treasure that he wanted more than anything else. That's the kind of attitude we need to have toward God and his will and his purposes in our lives. To recognize that everything else in life that seems so important, that the world tells us is important, that the world tells us is going to bring us joy and pleasure. No, nothing is as valuable as the treasure of knowing God and being in a relationship with him and walking with him and pleasing him. Because as we do that, we know he promised to reward us. Let's pray. Father, what a great hope that you have provided for us. And I thank you that you have told us about Enoch. We, you didn't leave that, keep that a secret, but you've, you let us know that he walked with you and, and that motivates us to want to experience that kind of a life where we walk every day with you so that when it comes time when life is over, we just move from walking with you here to walking with you there. Oh God, help us. Open our eyes to see the emptiness of the things that we chase after in this world. Help us to live every moment with a focus on you, seeking to please you, because Jesus Christ has made it possible for us. And it's all about him. Amen.